Are you tired of being told what to think and how to act? Well, you are not alone. In case you haven't realized it, you have an internal GPS. It knows all you need to know about how to live your life. So it's about time you stopped letting the media and the government tell you what is true for you. In fact, it is exactly that time. It's time to think for yourself. And here to make sure you're doing just that is your host, mediator, author, and lawyer, Carol Gold. Hi, it's Sunday, February 26th. I'm Carol Gold, and welcome to Think for Yourself. A little different on this podcast, I want to talk about all of the news, regardless of political perspective. And, you know, usually I come down on the conservative side, but I want to approach it from an overview so that regardless of what news you're listening to or watching, whether it's from the political left or the political right or any place in between that spectrum, it's all fear-based. It's all bad news. You can pick the the headlines or the lead story from any website you go to, and it's going to be bad news. If it's mainstream media or even if it's cable or conservative news, it doesn't matter anymore. Whether it's threats of World War III or how bad the economy is or suggestions that we're a nation close to civil war or in need of civil war, inflation, uh, fentanyl, the border, Russia, Ukraine, China, balloons in the sky. It doesn't matter what it is. It's all bad. It's all fear-based. Okay. So why does that matter? Well, You know the expression, you are what you eat? You're also creating what you think, what you put your attention on. What we put our attention on is really where we create and how we create. It's why sometimes people will say they thought about something for such a long time, it was what they wanted, it was exactly what they wanted, and then, wow, they walked right into it, whether it was a new house or a new location where they wanted to live or whatever it might be. That happens because what we focus our attention on is literally what we create. You know, unbroken focused attention can really create or what we call manifest really quickly. That's why it matters what you're thinking as much as what you're putting into your body, because both of those things, both the fuel we put in our bodies and in essence, the fuel we put in our minds is what we create. We create it in the physical, we create it in the emotional. So what are we doing when we watch all of this fear-based news? Well, We're creating and feeding and nurturing and assuring more fear and more division. The effect that that has on the physical body, I happen to believe, is literally illness. Because when you put enough fear-based thinking into your brain, your brain sends out messages to your body. And the body takes in exactly what it's directed to take in. And when you put all of that fear, fears and energy, like I always say, there's only two primary energies, love and fear. Fear is an energy. It's a frequency. Every single cell in our body vibrates at a specific frequency. Every organ vibrates at a specific frequency. It's no different than putting a toxin into your literal bloodstream 
when you put fear-based thoughts into your mind, which then traverse your body through the energetic field and the energetic pathways that traverse your physical body. A few days ago, I think I had an actual experience of this. And I, I want to share first the personal experience and then talk about it from a, from a grander perspective. I was quite ill about a week ago and I saw the doctor twice in one week and wound up in the emergency room ultimately. Without going into detail, it was a, a GI, a gastrointestinal issue. And when it was over, a very good friend of mine, and I would say a very heart-focused individual, shared with me that she didn't want to say anything while it was happening, because obviously I was ill and my mind was on my pain and getting better and identifying what was wrong. It's important to note that in hindsight, the doctors, the ER, whoever, nobody really knew what caused the problem. They only knew that it eventually went away. And my friend said, I didn't want to say anything while it was happening, but I feel that you've taken in so much fear-based news and information because of the work you do, because of the podcasting that you do, the need for you to constantly keep up with all of this, and the amount of hours a day that you spend immersed in these headlines and in these articles and in this in-depth investigative research. She said, I feel that your body couldn't take any more. It literally couldn't process what you were putting into it without an ill effect. It made a lot of sense to me because while she didn't know how spot on she was, I do spend or did <laughs> an awful lot of time on the internet, both on my phone, on my iPad, on my laptop, as do many of us. But I spend it in the world of headlines and investigative research because of the work I do. After my call with her, I spent the next three days only looking at either my phone, my iPad, or my computer, all told, one time a day. So I allowed myself for three consecutive days to only check in on the news once. Now, if you're someone like me who carries their phone wherever they go, who works on their iPad, who works on their computer, once a day is startling for me. It's, it's like almost like total withdrawal from being addicted to a narcotic. But I did it. And I felt really good. I felt liberated. I felt not manipulated. I felt not overwhelmed. I felt not so negative, not so pessimistic about our future, not so worrisome about the economy and my own financial situation or the safety of the world and my daughter's future. I spent so much of my time doing other things. And then a couple of days ago, my daughter reached out to me because a coworker of hers had been talking about suicide, depression, and had referenced suicide and how she didn't want to tell her mother because she didn't want to worry her mother. My daughter called me and said, Mom, what do you suggest I do? And she called me for a couple of reasons. One, selfishly, I'd like to believe that we're very close. I know we're close and that she always comes to me first because she feels safe in doing that. I may be shocked at something she tells me, but I never abandon her because of it. I never judge her because of it. She knows that I'm here for her. Okay. So she reached out to me and she said, what do I do? 
And the other reason she reached out to me is because she knows that I have spent a lifetime managing depression and that at age 24, I attempted suicide. And that's something that I've spoken about frequently and periodically on my podcast and have written about and spoken to, to high school students, to organizations over decades, because I share that information because I think I have a lot to say on that topic that can be both helpful and hopefully inspiring. And so I told her what she might say to her coworker if she has the opportunity But it also got me thinking about what happens to us with all of this fear-based information flowing at us 24-7 and the effect of technology and social media in terms of having socially distance us from one another. You know, there are four what they call feel-good hormones, dopamine, serotonin, endorphins, and the last one, oxytocin. Oxytocin was recently addressed in an interview with Albert Brooks, who's done a lot of, he's an author and a psychologist who's done a lot of studying on happiness and as a result studied depression and suicide as well. Low levels of oxytocin have been linked to symptoms of depression. You can increase levels of oxytocin in your own body, but generally it's through touch. It's through eye contact and touch. So think about that. If low levels of oxytocin and probably the other feel-good hormones as well are linked to depression, and I would argue ultimately linked to suicide if extreme enough, if low levels of that are raised by touch and eye contact, what are the two things you miss when constantly on a laptop, a computer, a cell phone, engaged in social media? You're missing touch and you're missing eye contact. These are needs of the human body, of the human psyche. The technology has all but eliminated. And I believe it is a strong factor in how alienated, in how alone, in how disconnected, in how purposeless so many of us feel life has become. When someone is depressed or suicidal, What they generally ask for is aloneness. They want to be alone. And it is, in fact, the very last thing they need. They need more love, not less love. They need less space, not more space. And that has to come from family, first and foremost. At least a single family member who they feel is trustworthy, reliable, safe, there for them. Friends and social media cannot give a person who feels alone and suicidal and depressed the thing they need. I shouldn't say never. It is possible that a friend can fill that role. But in the world we live in today, we count our friends by our likes. We count our friends as people who follow us on social media. And that's not the kind of friendship and that's not the kind of support I'm talking about. There's a funny expression. I think it's a joke of sorts, and it's it goes like this. A man from Minnesota, and I think they pick Minnesota because of the culture of that state and the way people are who perhaps are from Scandinavian background. And it goes like this. A man from Minnesota said, I loved my wife so much, I almost told her. 
funny, but a little sad too, because there's truth in that for so many of us. We say we love someone, but we almost never tell them. We never let them know. We tell third parties, oh, I love my daughter so much. Oh, I'm so proud of my son. And yet the son or the daughter walks around saying, my parent never said they loved me. I never felt loved. It's because we don't come from our heart. We have disconnected from our hearts. And one of the reason is, I believe that the pressure that technology and the speed of technology and what it has done to our everyday existence has caused so much suffering, psychological and emotional suffering, because it's not natural or normal for us to be so distanced, to be so less in human contact with one another, that people now do anything to alleviate their suffering. They do drugs, they do technology, they do addictions to porn, addictions to the technology, addictions to alcohol, you name it. We talk about safe spaces and not, not upsetting anyone by saying anything. People have become so fragile because they are OD'd on suffering, but not suffering in the way it was intended. Because suffering wasn't intended to cause you pain. Suffering is intended to bring us present. There is actually a spiritual aspect to suffering. And Albert Brooks talked about this in his interview. And I think it's in a book that has most recently come out by him on, although I don't, I don't think I know the name of that book. Sorry, probably could look it up on Amazon. He talked about sanctified suffering. Why is sanctified suffering very different than suffering that isn't sanctified, meaning isn't connected to a greater good, to a higher purpose, to suffering with meaning? It's exactly that. Suffering that isn't sanctified is just suffering for the sake of suffering. It has no redeeming quality. But when you suffer with a consciousness around meaning in suffering, you realize that it is in fact those challenging, difficult times in our lives that let us learn the most important lessons that bring ultimately enlightenment and wisdom to us because you never learn anything from something that comes easy. You never learn anything if something doesn't cost you something. And I don't mean in terms of dollars, although, you know, that's probably the greatest example in terms of the physical world. You know, the more you pay for something, the more important it becomes to you, the more you cherish it. Let's look at, you know, costume jewelry versus a $50,000 diamond ring. A person cherishes one more than the other and cherish shouldn't be the word, but it is because of the value that was put into it. Sanctified suffering has a similar effect. Sanctified suffering survived, and we always do survive sanctified suffering. Sanctified suffering survived is cherished in hindsight because it teaches us really important lessons about life. And life fundamentally is suffering with in-between periods of gliding, I would say, or riding the crest of the wave until we crash again. That is the nature of existence. And there's nothing wrong with it. What matters is how we deal with it. 
I just said a moment ago that suffering isn't meant to cause us pain. It's meant to bring us present. Why? Because in the present, you and I can handle anything that happens to us. Absolutely anything in the moment. Sometimes second by second. You know, that's how prisoners of war have explained how they've survived tremendous torture for extended periods of time. And it's by saying to themselves, I can handle it for this second. I can handle it for this second. I can handle You can't think too far ahead. And that's true about life too. It doesn't mean we can't plan. It means we can't get stuck like a record uh, that is stuck on a turntable and just keeps going around in the same groove over and over and over again. We can't get stuck in the future. We can't get regretful about the past. That's what happens when we don't properly understand what pain is. Suffering is meant to bring us present in the moment so that we stop living outside of the present. The present is called the present because it's a present. No pun intended, it's a gift. The present is a present. We can only appreciate it. We can only open it. We can only unpack it. We can only be wowed by it. We can only apply it in the moment. We can only relate to it in the moment. Everything else is wasted time and energy. You know, many people say, how could God do this? How could God let the world come to the point it's in? How can God allow sex trafficking of minors? How can God allow us to be on the threshold of World War III? People always say, how can God do that? And I think we are living in a time and in a moment when it's up to us to redefine God, meaning God is not outside of ourselves. It is not an entity that exists independent and disconnected from us or us from it. When we do that, we relieve ourselves of personal responsibility for our own actions and the consequences that we create for others and the consequences that we experience ourselves. It's time that we understood that we are co-creators in a very literal sense. We were given the power to create. Each of us, each of us has access to the power to create directly proportionate to the way in which we use it. Directly proportionate to the way in which we can internalize it. There's a spectrum around that power of co-creation. It can be everything from sketching a picture, which is a creative act, to say the founding of Tesla and SpaceX. That's what Elon Musk did with his co-creative power. What are we doing with our power? Are we abdicating it to others? I think that's what we do when we allow the media and the, and the government and the people in power who have money and a platform to fill us with fear and negativity. Are we doing that? Or are we demanding of ourselves that we take charge, that we draw upon and expand our own ability to create through not fear and negativity, but through love and positivity? You know, appointees who work for any successive presidential administration in this country, when asked, will say to you, I serve at the pleasure of the president. Well, I think it's time we started to say, 
I exist by the grace of Creator. But what does that mean? Even if you and I don't fully comprehend how the universe works, even if we don't fully comprehend how nature works, or how we as individuals come into being, or what happens when the body ceases to exist, nonetheless, there are certain things you and I do know. We know that we're here for a finite amount of time in physical form. We have some undetermined level of creativity that is available to each of us. We are currently using only a fraction of our brain's ability and capacity. And we are currently using, I would argue, even a smaller fraction of our heart's ability to create and to connect. Something of far more expansive energy, of far more creativity, and I would argue apparent compassion set everything we see in motion in the universe. That includes all of physical reality, and that includes each and every one of us. So what do we do with that portion of similarly creative power that each of us has been given? Well, what we do with it is up to us. It's up to each one of us. I talked earlier about the three days in which I didn't get onto the laptop or the iPad or the computer, in which I abstained from that addiction, truly what it is. So now the question becomes, what do I do with all that freed up time? What will I create with it? How will I use it for the highest good of all concerned? Having stepped outside of that matrix of fear-based control, what does the world look like now? And how will I contribute to the creation of a less fearful and more loving reality? I think that's the question. And here's the cycle. The cycle is ironic in and of itself. Begin with one voice, singing in the darkness, which influence others who ultimately join and become many. E pluribus unum, out of many, one. But it's the oneness of individuals making up the wholeness of a unified field. It's not political. It's not survival of the fittest. It's evolution of the most loving, the most loving of yourself and others. Thank you for listening. I'm Carol Gold. I'll be back here again next Sunday. And until I am, by all means, think for yourself. Carol thanks you for spending your valuable time with her. It is her mission to empower you to remember how smart and capable you are. Be sure to check out Carol's website, carolgold.com. That's carol with an E, gold.com. Please leave a review and subscribe here so you'll be alerted to Carol's next podcast. Until then, above all else, remember, it's time to think for yourself.